There is something around actually looking out for your customer and building a business model around that or a sustainable one at that because if banks don't do it, then someone else will. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Each Another, a podcast about designing for people and business. My name is Tom Cunningham, I'm a senior visual designer here with Each Another, and today I'm joined by one of our principal designers, Mr. Lawrence Veal. How are we doing, Lar? Great, thanks, Tom. So today we're going to be talking about the future of banking, an industry that's on the cusp of serious disruption. And recently we worked together on a showcase piece on this very topic that can be viewed on our website. So why the future of banking, Lar? That's a good question, Tom. I think uh, there's a couple of reasons. One, I think being on the cusp of disruption, I, I know we hear a lot about disruption. You know, the music industry has had their moment. The uh, the camera or photography industry have had their moment. So I think it's it's banking's uh, turn. Uh, and, and I think later on we might cover as to some of the reasons why that might be the case. But really, um, in terms of why the future of banking, we've worked with a fair few uh, of the banks in Ireland over the number of years and I've had some decent success with them. And I also keep quite a close eye on what's happening uh, in the broader fintech world, um, and retail banking in particular. But the real reason kind of for putting this together was a few uh, kind of personal touch points, if you want to call them that, with banks in kind of recent months. And it really made me think about the service that was kind of lacking, I guess, from the banks. The first kind of instant was I wanted to withdraw money. So I wanted to basically transfer money out of my bank account to my pension provider, different companies. My expectation was that it shouldn't take more than a couple of minutes by kind of logging onto my bank account on their website or through the app and just get the job done. But uh, on doing so, uh, I was hit with an error. So the amount that I wanted to transfer was over and above a so-called daily limit, even though I had plenty of money to transfer. Um, but there was no way to recover from this error message. Classic kind of usability 101 type stuff, you know, no way to recover from the error. So I rang the bank, uh, so again, be moved from online to the phone because there was no alternative. I rang my bank to see, could I get that limit raised just for this one transaction? Uh, only to be told, nope, sorry, we don't provide that as a service. You'd have to go into my branch. And now, I was working from home that day, so my actual branch was 90 kilometers away. So I drove into the nearest town to queue behind some other people just so I could then fill out a paper form. So I kind of explained my uh, situation and my predicament to the teller. I think he was incredulous as I was um, because he went on to explain then that having filled out this form, they would then post this form to my branch from the branch I was in and it would take between three and five business days to get done. So um, yeah, it was a bit nuts. Inconvenient, right? Uh, but, it, you know, totally unbelievable. Absolutely. Yeah. In this day and age, it seems... Uh... I think the excuse they gave was, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's you know, to, to protect you from hacking or some sort of you know money laundering or something like that but it was just absolute nonsense um and it actually did make a difference because you know, pension season is all about getting your pension in on time to uh to avail up the tax incentives uh, and there's a, a strict deadline so the bank certainly wasn't helping in that regard but i think the real inconvenience was uh was kind of an interesting one i felt kind of uh when i look back on it and was the real catalyst for getting this piece out so like many people who have a mortgage, I got my annual mortgage statement in the post. Uh, very humbling document in many ways. You see how much you've paid back and how little difference it's actually made, particularly when you're in the first couple of years of your mortgage. 
Uh, it's not a particularly well-designed piece of paper, but in it was interest rate, along with how much it left to pay. Um, but it was kind of a call to action to me to go and look around and see, well, could I get a better interest rate, just out of interest? Pun intended. Yeah. Well, long story short, turns out I could get a better deal from both competitors and indeed my own bank. So while I'm now delighted to be paying €400 Euro less per month, uh, I felt like I'd do a lot of the chasing, if not all of us, to get what was a better deal. Now, this better deal was available to me, um, but I felt the bank wasn't actually doing, it wasn't proactive enough in letting me know about it. So I had to go looking around for it. Now, arguably, it's not in their best interest to give me a better deal. You know, they would much prefer that I pay back more money. But that really, to me, sets the customer's interests against the interests of, of the company. And uh, what it really made me feel at, at the time was that they weren't really looking out for me. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because they're relying on really uninformed customers um, and they're relying uh, on inertia, so people not doing anything. So it's a very complacent place to be for any business and banks in particular. Yeah, I mean, as, as you mentioned, 400 euro less per month coming out of your, your salary is substantial over time. Sure. I mean, there's, there's obviously better ways you can use that money. Uh, you know, so it's, it's not dead money. You could be saving it, investing it, you know, all manner of things. Uh, and the real kicker is that, um, you know, I don't know how long I've been paying that rate that wasn't optimal for me, I guess. You know, uh, when I took out my mortgage, it was the only option available to me. Uh, it was the only bank that would lend me money. This was kind of Celtic Tiger um, craziness. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was it was just that key question of complacency uh, rather than my own um, situation. That if you're relying on this inertia, I think it's a really dangerous place to be. Uh, so why do you say that? So uh, a couple of reasons. Um, we saw how powerful a force inertia can be to keep customers. Uh, RBS in the UK, um, and indeed their subsidiary Ulster Bank in Ireland, uh, had an unprecedented systems meltdown. So basically people could not get money, could not access services for days, if not weeks, uh, and despite all that massive frustration and inconvenience it caused, very few customers actually left. And the reason why very few people left was, arguably at least, there was very little competition to go to. So while there's two types of forces that pull on the push, there was certainly a push away, but there was no pull from anything else uh, for those customers, in, in my estimation. But I think that's going to change quite dramatically uh, over the next 11 to 12 months. So how do you think that's going to change? Well, I think in recent years, we've seen, um, I guess, what you might call the unbundling of banking or the uberfication of some banking services where I suppose there are different services have been taken on by competitors, most of whom aren't banks. So um, if you think payments on Apple Pay, Square or Venmo and a host of other kind of payment providers, uh, you've got the likes of TransferWise or Currency Fair and international payments making it far, far faster, easier, and ultimately cheaper to move money overseas. So they're kind of taking that part of the bank's business. So that's the payment space. But we've also seen things like crowdfunding with Indiegogo and Kickstarter. And there's a host of other examples, which kind of demonstrate that banking may suffer kind of a death by a thousand cuts. And I think there's good visualizations out in some of the big um, kind of banking blogs and publications about this, this kind of uh, death by a thousand cuts, where they're being... I suppose, disrupted, at least not in the whole, but in part, uh, but in lots of parts by all these different uh, challenges. 
But then on, on the classical banking side, you've also got the likes of N26, which has been um, launched, I think, in 17 countries now in Europe. Uh, you've also got the likes of Simple. You've got Movin, Monzo, Atom, Starling, who will be coming out pretty soon. So all these challenger or neobanks um, with more or less full service kind of retail banks, but really reimagined for digital and mobile in particular. So there, a lot of them will be branchless because really people... Um, don't need branches anymore, uh, or at least a large swathe of the population don't. Um, because if you think about it, when's the last time you went into a branch? Was it because you had to, because of a, a poorly designed process or service, uh, or because you needed to talk to someone uh, for advice? And arguably banks, and certainly retail banking, tend not to give any kind of uh, good financial advice. Yeah, I agree. I think the last time I went into, actually went to the bank was just because I had to physically bring in something that was mortgage related. But apart from that, I, I never go into branches. I just use just use everything transfers. I've got direct debit set up. So mobile, in my opinion, is 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 very important. Right. Yeah, and it's it's like it's like that. Uh, I think it's a Bill Gates quote that we used uh, in the article that we wrote. You know, people need banking, but they don't necessarily need banks. And uh, I think banks have been kind of pretty decent in moving what they had over to uh, digital and mobile, but they took a lot of those anachronisms or artifacts over with them that probably weren't best suited to those digital channels. Um, so that was a kind of a, a mistake. It was kind of a port over of all their stuff. So I have a bugbear with a transactionist. I have bugbears with what a balance actually means. Mm -hmm. Um and I'm a bugbear with the fact that you can't do all the things you need to do on a on a with your bank via mobile. That they punch you back to um, the desktop website uh, for some reason. Um, with maybe there's a mistaken assumption that because it's on mobile, people wouldn't do it. Uh, that they would just want the most important things, uh, which is partially true, but it's also partially inaccurate. Okay, okay. Back to uh, what's going to change in the next year or so. Well, by 2018, January 2018, what we've got in Europe is the Payment Services Directive 2. So that means that customers won't be uh, locked into their bank's financial systems. They'll be able to access and use their banking data via third-party services. So uh, in the US, they've had Mint.com for about 10 years. Um, that What that does is um, gives them insights and data about where they're spending their money and where they might be able to get a better deal. Uh, on various things like loans, mortgages, any, uh, credit cards, any of those kind of products. But um, but it also means that if a, if a bank customer wants to pay a friend um, or compare products or do any other type of kind of standard financial activity, uh, they can choose a new provider quite easily to do it for them. So this will open up local markets to really exciting new entrants. Um, and many of these entrants will not be other banks. And that's the interesting part, uh, I think. Um, so you can imagine, you know, a service that you use to pay your friends or people or bills and that kind of stuff, but, uh, it's via something like N26. So the bank might be somewhere where you just get your salary paid into, but your actual relationship, um, is really with this new provider because they give you a better experience. So there's a real risk then that the banks become the dumb pipe. So that technically they keep their customers, um, but the, these new services or new banks will own the experience layer. So everything from the point of sale to balances, transactions, 
the only thing the bank will provide is the underlying infrastructure. Um, and when they lose access to those kinds of vital touch points or even uh, payment data, they will lose all of the associated um, insights and, and service they can build upon those insights. Um, so that's why those unbundled payment apps are actually so important. It's not just about paying your friend back for dinner. That's only a thin end of the wedge. What it's really about is um, looking at payments as a great source of, of data. That transactional data is gold. If you think about how Google builds its uh, business based on what people search for, their intent, or Facebook, what they declare their taste to be, so essentially what they like and, and with whom they're friends and what they like, um, this is literally where customers um, spend their money. So it's where the, the point of action is. So that data can be potentially quite uh, valuable. So if banks aren't actively looking out for their customers' best interests, then someone else will, right? Sure. So in your recent mortgage experience, I've had something similar experience myself. Uh, it could be an aggregator or a comparison site that tells me there's a better offer elsewhere and facilitates me getting it. Yeah, I think the key point is that they'll do so, you know, really quickly. It'll come to you rather than you having to do all the work. You know, great design, I think, minimizes work. That's one of the kind of, I suppose, fundamental principles of, of good design is that it, it cuts down the amount of effort or work or friction. Um, so that's certainly one place uh, that I think uh, will be um, fought over. Um, you know, so it's creating a marketplace for those services. Um but I think there's a bit more to say on what your bank actually should be um, and whether it should be something that helps make you better off. You know, and all the time in, in, in my relationship with, with my bank, so I think I opened a bank account when I was 14, so over 20 years with my bank, uh, I'm not sure if I've ever got some sound financial advice about how to help me uh, become better off. So kind of financial literacy, a financial vocabulary. You know, I, I think what is needed by society is actually some sort of institution uh, that's truly customer focused rather than uh, product focused and something that fundamentally helps people become better off. So I think that's what we did for our future banking piece. We took the bank apart, stripped it apart and reimagined just a couple of the things that people are most familiar with. And we added another one, uh, this concept of advice. So I think from, you know, the balance transaction list, payments. I think all of those things are things we've kind of grown up with on paper and then they moved to pixels, but they didn't really get that much better. So I think, you know, the, there is something around actually looking out for your customer and building a business model around that or a sustainable one at that because if banks don't do it, then someone else will. Okay, well, you mentioned a couple of pain points there, a couple of areas for improvement. One particular one was balance. So, so what's what do you think is fundamentally wrong with balance as it is now? Well, it's probably not uh, been questioned too much, and it's a difficult one to get right potentially. But essentially, a balance uh, is only uh, accurate at that single point in time that you're looking at it. What it doesn't account for is all the future payments in the next week or in the, uh, next month. So rent, mortgages, loans, uh, bills. So it can give you a very full sense of security and. By looking out for a customer's best interest, if you accounted for those things in some way, uh, I think you'd make those people uh, at least more aware of their spending. 
you don't have to sit them in front of a pie chart to analyze um, their spending in kind of a very reflective mode. But what you can do is give them greater context around their money. And if you improve the relationship that people have with their money, I think that's the first step in making them, um, I, th I think, more financially literate, but ultimately better off. So it's the kind of thin end of the wedge. Okay, Lara, I'll challenge you. Is this is this kind of like the designer trying to be idealistic and change the world, or are we being a little bit naive? So I think a beginner's mindset is a great place to start when changing something fundamentally. Uh, if you start to design a bank with just people from uh, banks, you'd end up with just another bank. Uh, so I think perspective is really important. Um, but I think the moment of truth comes when you've got... Uh, you know, kind of a, a revenue uh, center of say that's that's based on people missing payments. So all, all the charges on overdraft fees, etc. If you make a customer better off so that they don't occur, um, you know, there's there's a cost to the business. Uh, the moment of truth comes when you have that mature conversation about foregoing those costs in favor of something else, and you know uh, you're doing well when you have those kind of conversations. Uh, when you're making kind of the business case for making your customers better off. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and we've thought about this quite a lot. So uh, to see more of our thoughts on the future of banking, go to eachandother.com and you can see our showcase piece on your bank reimagined. Thanks very much for your time today, Lar. Thanks, Tom. So.